Haramai ki hauraki, he oute te a fair. Come to hauraki where the oute plant is undisturbed. No mai haramai. Welcome to this podcast series, Nga Poito o te kupinga o Taramainuku, Islands of the Hauraki Gulf. In 2007, Anne Rimmer gave a lively talk to a meeting at the North Shore Historical Society, sharing her knowledge of Tiritiri Matangi. In this clip, we hear her introduction to the talk, including some of the details of the history and conservation of the island, with a focus on the growing diversity of bird life. The name Tiritiri Matangi actually means buffeted by the wind, but this is one of those rare days when it simply wasn't. And you're going to hate me for saying this, but just take a look at the silhouette of the island. About 20 years ago, some children of Mel Galbraith decided that this island looks like a sleeping hippopotamus. <laughs> now, you're never going to think of Terry the same after that. I'm sorry about it. <laughs> it's not a big island. For all the love that's imbued in there and all the focus of people's attention, um, it's only three kilometres long. It's less than a kilometre wide. And it's fairly steep. The lighthouse isn't the highest point. The highest point is somewhere in the middle of the island. And people who come to Tiri for a day trip, um, first of all, how many people have been to Tiri? Wonderful. How many of you have planted trees? Yes, thank you. And I must confess, I've never planted a tree. I'm so busy guiding when I go there that I haven't got time. The pale bit is around Hobbs Beach, the pale water there. And just above there, you can see the wharf sticking out. That's where people land, um, and then they get a guided walk, sort of almost vertically in this picture, up to the lighthouse, which is just above the known circle at the top there. Um, that will take them about an hour and a half, and then they usually walk back along the road, the ridge of the island, and then down towards the beach and, and down to the ferry. But you can see there's quite a bit of the island that the average day visitor never gets to, and a lot of that is used for research, but you can see how much of the island is now planted with trees. One of the reasons for making this into an open sanctuary was that it's so close to Auckland. And you see Rangitoto in the distance there. And of course we've got the magnificent historic lighthouse which is currently being repainted. They're taking the white lead paint off and they're repainting it. I trust white, but one's never sure. We suggested polka dots would be nice. <laughs> and at the moment it's, it's powered by solar panels. So there's the solar panels down below it with batteries and the Fuller's Ferry was the uh, ferry to the island for some years, but it's now the Kawao Cat. So if you want to go to Turi, you phone Kawao Cat or book online. And they bought a new boat for the trip and are doing a very, very good job of getting people there and getting them clued into how the island works before they arrive. I've got nothing but praise for the crew of the Kawao Cat. And in the background is the Spirit of New Zealand on that nice photo. This is a historic photo. This was the last day of the 10-year planting period. And in the foreground, we've got Dr. Neil Mitchell and Dr. John Crane, who were the two university professors who proposed the planting project. The whole restoration project was their uh, concept, and they drove it right through. And this also shows a large number of children coming to Terry, and it reminds us that we have, as well as the, um, in part of the 36,000 visitors, are a huge number of school children right through the winter. We have school parties coming. And it's a delight to have them on there because it's so easy to turn them on to the whole conservation idea when they're there. We also have a huge number of overseas visitors increasing. It's in Lonely Planet, for example. And um, that's one of the reasons we try to keep the boardwalks in tip-top condition because they're not so used to walking in New Zealand rugged gravel and dirt tracks and so on. 
Um, and this is some of the more mature bush in the Kawaran track with the lovely tree ferns there. And this to me is, is probably the picture that most says what Terry is all about. It's showing incredibly endangered birds to the public, not just to protecting birds like somewhere like Little Barrier does, but letting the public see them and understand what they're about and why we need to work so hard to conserve what we've got left. This is a picture taken by a Japanese reporter, Mitsuru Ayayagi, who's developed a great love for New Zealand. And I say, to me, this is just the, the, the best picture of ever, just showing what Terry's about. <coughs> and the thing that keeps Terry safe and special is the Terry Channel, because it's just too far for rats and stoats to swim. Terry's got no predators at all, which is just magic. It's got no rats, no stoats, no cats, no dogs, no hedgehogs. Hedgehogs will eat eggs and so on. No possums. So it is pristine, and that what is what makes it really, really special for the endangered birds. There were kiori rats on there. The Maori brought kiori with them, and they were not removed until 1993 because nobody knew how to get rid of them. In 1993, there was one helicopter drop of poison after months of planning, and it wiped out the rats in one go. They said that the island smelt of dead rats for weeks afterwards. The results were instant, with the increase in breeding. Now, the same thing has been done two years ago on the Barrier and has been pronounced a success recently. They wait two years to be sure that it's okay. But in that two years, there was a noticeable, remarkable increase in the breeding of all the birds. In particular, the little cook's petrels that breed on there went from a 5% survival rate of the chicks to 85%. Some of the rare birds that have been put on in the time that it's been a sanctuary, the saddleback was one of the first. Lovely bird, jaunty and bright, doing so well that we're giving it away to other sanctuaries. And we've got hundreds of the things now. There's nothing wrong with the birds in New Zealand, it's just that they simply have not got any defences against all those predators we introduced. The whitehead does exist on the mainland, but on Turi it's in flocks. You're surrounded by them all day long. They're a lovely, buzzy little bird, um, just very, very busy in the bush. Whereas the North Island robin is a solitary creature that will arrive on the track in front of you and look at you expectantly because we've got used to clearing a bit of the undergrowth away, and the bird comes straight down to your feet and starts eating the insects and the worms. And it's totally unfazed by the, the group of people around watching while that's going on. It's a lovely little bird. The little kiwis are doing brilliantly. We've got about 70 big, heavy birds, and you have a very good chance of seeing them if you stay overnight. You'll certainly hear them. They wake you up while you're sleeping in the bunkhouse, yelling outside your window, and then you go off looking for them, and you've got a good chance of seeing one. The stitch bird, another very endangered bird that's actually only on Little Barrier Island originally. It had been rendered extinct everywhere else. And we put it on Terry. It's quite a fragile bird. And the first transfer of about 40 birds, half of them died in the first few months. Second transfer, all but three died. But from that rather shaky beginning, we've managed it with very, very careful research. Care of the birds, dusting the nests for mites, because birds have got mites like cats and dogs have fleas. Um, lots of sugar feeding. There's sugar feeders there to give them an energy boost. And that's boosted them up to the point that they're doing well. And again, we're giving them away. The next place they're going is to the Waitakeris, the Kokako. Now, the Kokako is one of those birds that just seems to tug at people's heartstrings. It's a stunning bird to see because it's huge. It's much, much bigger than a tui. And it's got these great powerful legs and it bounds up trees and then 
glides down a bit and then climbs up another tree. They're very relaxed on two. They're very used to people, <clears throat> and you have them uh, just above your head, feeding their babies, things like that. Um, they're really special, and of course, to hear them sing is just magic. And of course, the Takahe, which are you know Tui's iconic, iconic species, and we'll hear a bit more about them later. But look at the beautiful plumage, the colours on those feathers, just wonderful. So going right back to the beginning for a minute, how did Tui get to be where it is now? In the beginning, it would have had a rich coastal forest on it, the good strong trees that could withstand the salt winds and the dry conditions on Tui. It's a very dry island just because of the way the weather works in the Auckland area. In the coastal forest, there were a huge number of land birds, as we're now recreating. There were thousands of seabirds nesting in burrows under the trees. That's the sort of typical thing that happens in New Zealand, although we very rarely see it now. There would be reptiles, lots of lizards, lots of geckos, skinks, and tuatara, and a huge number of insects and so on. Now, when the Maori arrived some 600 years ago, they had two major effects. They burnt some of the forest because they wanted to grow gardens and they wanted to encourage bracken to grow because they were a bit short of vegetable food at the beginning. The other thing the Māori did was bring the kiori and this was not an accident. It wasn't dirty canoes like rats lived on dirty sailing ships. It was a deliberate action to bring another food source. Throughout the whole Pacific, the Polynesian people, excuse me, <coughs> the Polynesian people put kiori rats on each island as they went to it. And then when they went back, there was something else to catch and eat. But the major effect on Tiri, as with the rest of New Zealand, was the farming. And uh, over 140 years of farming, the farmers cleared the bush, they burnt off the manuka scrub and so on, and they ran up to 600 sheep on Tiri which amazes me, considering how dry it is. And that's what happens if you farm an island the way they farm the rest of New Zealand. It just turns into a paddock with just a few trees in the steepest gullies. By 1980, some things had happened. The island had stopped being farmed because it had joined the Hauraki Gulf Maritime Park, which was an effort to restore and, and rescue some of the Crown land before it disappeared. So the islands in the Gulf that were not privately owned became Hauraki Gulf Maritime Park, <clears throat> and Tiri was one of them. Now, the idea was that they would just leave it and the trees would grow back, but unfortunately, there were so many Kiori rats on there that they developed into plague proportions after the stock left. The grass grew waist high, the rats ate the seeds from the grass, but by winter they were starving, and any little seedling that even attempted to grow on there simply got eaten by the rat. Nothing was happening except that the bracken encroached in the grassland, and that's the brown. Fantails remained even through that really bleak period when it was a farm. The, farm ch the children that lived on Tiri in the lighthouse area um, recall fantails from before the war. There were always tui, <coughs> which came back and forth. Tui are very strong flies, and they go back and forth to the mainland just as they please. Now a little bit about the takahe, which are so special and such fun. The takahe on Tiri started with two males being released in 1991. Now this is a hoot because it was supposed to be a breeding program. <laughs> the press at the time had a, had a, a ball with this. Um, Doc was playing it safe because a lot of people were critical of putting takahe on territory. They said, no, no, takahe live up in the mountains in the snow and they eat tussock grass. They're not going to live on somewhere like Tiri. Well, that's all wrong. Um, the fossil record shows that in fact takahe were all over the South Island and we just drove them up into the mountains. It was their last stronghold from human encroachment. Uh, takahe on Tui grazed the grass. 
and they trot around on the beach eating sandhoppers. So, complete rubbish. They don't need tussock grass. That's just what they were forced into eating. We've now got about 18 birds on Terry. Some females were brought on and so on. And the total population in the world is 250, only in New Zealand. It's disastrously small. It isn't going down, that's the one good news. They don't have a good breeding record. They might lay two eggs, but um, one will hatch. The other one probably doesn't. A lot of the eggs are infertile. A lot of the little chicks die within the first two or three days. There seems to be something wrong with the whole breeding of them. And no matter what we do, we can't make their population go up as quickly as we'd like. Um, nevertheless, that those few birds are such wonderful ambassadors for the endangered. And of course, the two males that were first put on territory, Stormy and Mr. Blue, thumbed their noses at the whole idea of, of starting a breeding project with two males because they probably started building nests. And after they'd sat on the nest for a while and after they'd sat on the dummy egg they were given, the authorities were persuaded to finally, at great expense and trouble, bring up a real fertile egg from Maud Island, which is down in the Sounds, flew it up by boat and, and plane and helicopter and so on, got it to the island, put it under the two birds who were delighted, and a few days later hatched a chick. So nuts to <laughs> Very funny. Um, and from that, as I say, we've now got about 18 birds. And you get sites like this. Here's Greg and his mate A Dot and baby Tilly, who's now several years old and about to breed. You can visit the exhibition Ngā Poito to Kuping of Taramainuku, the islands of the Hauraki Gulf, at Tamaki Pātaka Kōrero, the Central City Library, from the 4th of March till the end of June 2021. If you'd like to hear more of what Auckland Libraries has to offer on our podcast platform, click follow to receive notifications when we publish new material. Hey Kona.